Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have another great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Ken Medlock, who is the Director of Master of Energy Economic Program at the James Baker Institute for Public Policy at Rice University. And we'll also be joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman, as well. But first... I want to talk to you about our latest issue of Shale Magazine, in which our cover is Sarah Ortwine, who is the president of XTO Energy, of course, a company, an energy company that's based in beautiful Houston, Texas. This is definitely an issue that you don't want to miss. And we were actually pretty happy and proud to have her on the cover, um, as there's just not a lot of women executives Uh, in the energy sector. And so we were able to tell her story, talk about the great company XTO, as well as um, just kind of introducing uh, our listenership and our fan base to XTO, the energy company. So be sure to go to shale, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Again, that's shellmag.com to read the story in its entirety. Before we bring on David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, to talk oil, gas, and, of course, some politics, I want to tell you about the latest thing that's happening in 2019 within the Oil Patch Radio Show. We are so excited to have a partner coming on board, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, John Tatera, and his team will be coming into studio and fielding any questions that come in live via Facebook and or via email to our office wanting to discuss anything you want to know about oil and gas. And I mean anything. So you could send in questions on the environment, global warming, seismicity, air quality, water, you name it. But what we definitely want is your involvement. So feel free to send us your questions beforehand to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com or go to our Facebook page and send us a message. As we're doing it live, we'll be making these announcements and you can send us your question right then and there or call in as well. This will begin in January 2019, but get your questions in early. I highly encourage you to get informed, get involved and get engaged. We recently attended the Deloitte Energy Conference and caught up with Ken Madlock. Let's jump into that interview. Ken, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you for having me. So we're here today. Uh, You just got off stage at the Deloitte uh, Energy Mm -hmm. Global Conference. You play a very important role uh, with, of course, Rice University. So tell me a little bit about your background and what are you specifically doing there at Rice as a senior director? Sure. Um, So uh, background, uh, it's it's kind of very interesting career path, if you will. My doctorate um, I received from Rice University in 2000 uh, in economics. Uh, focused largely on issues related to energy and environment in my research. And then from there, I went on to work at El Paso Natural Gas. So I got a little bit of taste of 
you know, the, the quote-unquote how the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to see actually how deals are done, uh, which is incredibly useful because it actually grounds a lot of the research that I do today um, and, and helps to ground a lot of the research that my colleagues do as well uh, with me. So um, that allows us to bring a different lens um, uh, to not only research, but issues that are actually occurring in the field in real time. Um, because right. we have, you know, tremendous uh, technical depth, but we also have a, 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 a very um, a deep understanding of how markets actually function. So you don't just have theory-based, you actually have come in. Understand, understand the practical nature of the business, absolutely. Exactly. And on stage, you were very, very interesting with a lot of the discussion you were talking about of where we are right now. So I want to ask you a question pertaining to energy. Um, are there any related... Uh, energy-related forums or events that you guys are currently having at the center. And I know we talked about it briefly that you guys are winding down your year. One big event is coming up. What is that? So, yeah, we just recently had our um, annual conference, Revolutions in Energy, which was fantastic. Uh, discussed everything from technology to electricity and evolution of markets there to uh, global gas market evolution, what's going on in the Permian Basin uh, right. was a big point of focus as well, uh, and then energy finance. And it was a fantastic event. It's actually available online for anybody who's interested to, to actually watch it. Um, the uh, uh, the events, however, uh, that we're holding are winding down because this is our 25th anniversary at the Baker Institute. And um, we have a major gala plan for the end of November, uh, which will be fantastic, actually, because... 25 uh, years. Yeah, not only that, but we have a, um, uh, scheduled a... Uh, armchair between uh, Secretary James Baker and uh, former President Barack Obama, which will be really interesting. Interesting. Because they're both incredible statesmen um, and uh, should have some interesting dialogue because they didn't necessarily view all matters, particularly in the foreign policy realm, the same. So. Interesting. Um, so let me get into a question on U.S. and the growth that we're seeing in energy production. Um, what are the what are we seeing as far as large growth in global energy demand, and how is that going to affect the U.S. and global uh, markets? And what is causing this demand? So demand growth globally has um, really not slowed, um, particularly for oil and gas, um, but especially for gas, which is you know by far the fastest growing of the of the fossil fuels. So this is amongst oil, coal, you know, gas. Um, that growth uh, um, is largely driven by um, the expanding um, economic prowess of countries in Asia, primarily, at the moment. So this is China, the group of countries collectively called, called the ASEAN region, which is Southeast Asia, India. Um, you know, these countries are uh, not only growing at six plus percent a year, but their, their populations are massive. Um, collectively in that part of the world, you've got over 3.3 or so billion people. Um, which is more than double the size of the um, developed world. So as we see those countries continue to grow um, and we see those populations, the people in those countries actually achieve higher and higher levels of wealth, the demands for energy are going to rise as well, uh, not only for residential and, and, and basic commercial use, but also for industrial activity. Now on stage, you actually had a uh, picture showing uh, a lot of the countries that are using a lot of electricity and then of course the ones that are somewhat dark and those are some that are going to come on in demand. Yeah, so uh, on stage I actually discussed, um, you know, focused really on the next 20 years or so. There's, you know, 1.3 billion people in the developed world, so this is the OECD, you know, collectively, about 3.3 or so in developing Asia, um, but that still leaves unaccounted for, uh, if you just do the math, about, oh, 
3.1 billion people. That's um, and yeah, and and a big chunk of those individuals actually live in sub-Saharan Africa, which um, is is a region of the world that's stricken with severe energy poverty. So this is lack of access to modern energy services. So the prospect for demand growth um, in the very near term um, is really an Asia-centric story. But longer term, we have to incorporate what's going to happen um, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. So it's actually a really important region to think about over the next 30, 40, 50 years. And I think I was reading some data that they're starting to do some uh, exploration uh, offshore out there in Africa as well. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So there, there's um, you know, there's no shortage of um, resources uh, available for development. Um, there's a lot of interest not only on the west coast of Af Africa, but also the east coast of Africa, big gas finds um, in, in Mozambique, off the coast of Mozambique and Tanzania. Um, interest in developing resources, not only for domestic use in those countries, but also for, um, uh, with an export-oriented focus. So looking at, at Asia in particular, um, uh, some of the commercial interests that are there are really targeting those countries as, as, as demand grows. So um, the fact that you've got so much demand growth coming it hasn't been realized yet, means that as we look forward and we start thinking about the role of the U.S. as a major producer of oil and gas, um, it's, it's going to be sub substantial, um, but it's uh, going to be part of a very much more complicated uh, uh, supply picture globally because the portfolio is deepening significantly. I want to thank Ken for being a guest on my show today, and now it's time for us to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show this week. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. Well, let's get started because we have a great show. There's so much to talk about in oil and gas. But before we get started on the topic, David, let's talk about the passing of President George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, you know, he and his family ha were active in the oil business for many years as well. Um, and so um, let's talk a little bit about um, energy policy during his term and the lasting impacts and your thoughts on him as well. As a president, he did do some things on energy that have had a lasting impact, for sure. The main being that he uh, implemented the moratoria on any exploration offshore on the east or west coast of the United States, and that policy is still pretty much in effect today. That was a response to the Santa Barbara oil spill that, that happened, I think, in 1988 which came just a couple of years after the Exxon Valdez spill. And so uh, President Bush came under a lot of pressure to do that, and he did it. Um, but all in all, you know, he was a very consequential president. He was a wonderful human being. I think everybody who ever interacted with him had a high degree of respect for him. And you saw that, of course, come out in the funeral uh, and all the ceremonies that took place this week. So it's... Uh, you know, a sad time for the country, but he lived a, a long and full life and uh, got to say bye to everyone important to him as he was passing. So it's uh, kind of a bittersweet story. Sure is. I mean, he was definitely admired and you could see it from so much media coverage. And of course, it was all amazing coverage. Um, to me, I think the most touching thing was seeing uh, his son, President Bush, give the eulogy and of course it was a tearjerker yeah. um and he did pretty good until the very end and he just could not oh that's so hard to do that for a parent i've had to do that and it's uh you know it's just something that's really difficult to get through i couldn't agree with you more um so when we get back david we're going to talk all about oil and gas opec there's a lot of things uh right now happening in oil and gas it's exciting and uh, so we're going to get to those we do have to take a quick break you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back 
in the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. As oil markets hold their breath for OPEC's announcement of the final production cuts to take place starting next week, the EIA reported a surprising draw in crude oil of 7.3 million barrels last week. However, after six hours of discussions yesterday, OPEC didn't agree on a cut as members wait to see how much Russia will agree to. Saudi Arabia's energy minister, Khalid Al-Fali, said the cartel was still deliberating an agreement after the meeting ended. The main proposal that was discussed was a cut of around 1 million barrels per day, but he added, quote, I am not confident of an agreement, end quote, adding that Russia is not ready for a substantial cut. WTI lost $1.31 yesterday to close at $51.69 per barrel. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we are being joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening with OPEC and uh, Qatar's yeah. decision to leave OPEC. Um, is this a ma- is this going to have a major impact on the cartel, or, and also is it going to have any impact on oil prices? Well, I I don't think it has any real impact uh, on the cartel, or not a big one, frankly. Um, Qatar was not one of the bigger producers in in the cartel. They, I think, were the ninth largest producer, uh, according to the most recent data. Um, you, you know, and, and they're a country that has really focused a lot more on their LNG export business than on crude oil here in recent years. They're the biggest exporter of liquefied natural gas globally, and um, and that really is the future for their country. Uh, their their assets are really more gassy than they are. Oily. So uh, they just became frustrated. They didn't feel like they had much of a voice in the organization. Uh, there is some speculation that now that Qatar has made that move, uh, that Iraq or Iran may pull out of OPEC. But, uh, you know, that's just speculation. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see if that happens. But, you know, frankly, I, I think it's kind of a non-event in, in just terms of impact on the markets. Interesting. And, and, you know, that's what I was wondering is, well, with Qatar exiting OPEC, would this spur on other smaller countries to leave OPEC as well? Because they're not real, they really don't have a voice. We know who's the big guy in the room is. And of course, it's Saudi Arabia. That's true. But, you know, it, it does give cover. Being a part of that organization does provide a lot of cover for these other countries. And, uh, you know, it makes them part of a larger, more influential, globally influential organization. And uh, there's a lot of value in that. And they have, you know, frankly, over the last two years, just until the last month or so, been very effective at uh, controlling the price of oil. And uh, frankly, the industry needs to hope that they become more effective again. Well, and speaking of that, let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about the OPEC meeting because they met in Vienna and they did agree to cut their exports. So my question is, what do you think? Is this enough to move back oil prices to a stronger level price-wise? Well, it's maybe, maybe not. It depends on the follow-through. It depends on what the Russians are willing to do, the cuts that uh, they have apparently agreed to anyway. Um, Didn't really impress the markets very much. 
late in the week. And, uh, you know, unless the Russians are willing to really make some very significant cuts of their own, uh, this may be a, an action that just kind of preserves the status quo where all prices are concerned here over the next six months until they have their next meeting. Um, if the Russians come in and say they're willing to cut their own production three or 400,000 barrels a day, then you may see the markets uh, start moving the oil price back up. But uh, what was what was apparently agreed to this week anyway, we don't have exact news yet, but. Uh, so we're a wait and see, we're in a wait and see moment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> kind of, sort of. You hate to be in that situation, but there we are. There we are. And that's how we're probably gonna go into the ending of the year. Um, you know, David, we are going to start a live show um, because we have, we get a lot of questions from our listeners and, and, and we want to encourage this because that's what the show is about, right? Is you want, uh, you want to know about oil and gas, you have questions, or you just want to learn about the topic. This is a great show to listen to weekly. Um, and so as we start this new segment in which we'll take live callers, Facebook callers, uh, questions coming in from Facebook or coming in from emails, um, I think it's going to be a really great opportunity for us to engage with our listeners one-on-one in pretty much live time. And so I had a question come in from our listeners for you. And so his question is, it's pertaining to natural gas. And uh, the question is, natural gas prices, will they ever go up to the point that it's feasible for them to start drilling again? He goes on to say that he is kind of sick and tired of working in Pecos. <laughs> and he wants the good old days in which he was um, working at the Barnett Shell. And, you know, we don't hear a lot about the Barnett Shell. So what is your, uh, give me your answer to that question. Well, for all you folks out in Pecos, you know, you have a perfectly fine city and it's a great part of the world out there. This is obviously a, uh, a native of North Texas who wants to go back home. Um, so don't be offended by that question. Um it, you know, it's no, the answer is no, <laughs> not in the long run. I mean, we've had you know, a, 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 a run up in the price. It's, you know, sitting around $4.50 where it had been $3 seemingly forever. Um, and that's just due to a shortage of inventory and storage right now uh, going into the winter season. But as we get to the end of the, of the winter, um, I, I think, really we're going to see that price kind of go back down to around three dollars uh because the, the the problem is this there's just so much natural gas in the united states in these shale plays uh and and not just in the marcellus shell and the haynesville you know and and the barnett where you know that are classified as gas fields but in a lot of these oil fields and we're going to talk about this later in these these oil fields like the bakken and the eagle ford and the permian basin there is a, just a ton of natural gas in those formations as well and people don't i think always realize that or remember it and it, it the magnitude of the resource is almost incomprehensible it's almost impossible to adequately describe to people so I'm afraid, no, the answer is no, that we're not going to ever, at least, you know, in the next couple of decades anyway, get to a point where the price for natural gas is going to go, you know, much higher than it is now. And you're going to see a doubling of the number of rigs drilling for it because it just, it just, uh, there's, it's too abundant. And, and that's just kind of the, the situation we're in. So for our friend, our listener, unfortunately, 
You're not going to get to go back to the Barnett Shell anytime soon. Get comfortable in Pecos because, yeah, that's where you're going to be, apparently. And speaking of that, you know, to any of our listeners, if you ever have a question, rather it's for just anyone on the show or if you have an expert, one of your favorites, um, like David, please feel free to email us at radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com. And we'll be happy to answer your questions uh, live on the air um, or email. email you back the answer as well so david with that we're going to get back on lng and the discussion of natural gas when we return from break but you are listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And our guest today is the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, before the break, we were talking about a listener sent us in a question that he had about the price point of natural gas. Uh, And I want to get back on that topic because there does seem to be a, a bigger demand for natural gas. And there's also seems to be expansion in areas of the chemical industry, LNG exports and other areas. So you really do hear a lot about natural gas. It's buzzing. So what are we seeing pertaining to natural gas? Why is the demand there? And um, what what do you see? Yeah, I mean, we've had a a huge resurgence in demand for natural gas. and, And that just tells you how abundant it really is in the United States. Even with this, I mean, we've had $300 $300 billion in new investments of, of manufacturing facilities, chemicals and plastics and fertilizer plants in this country in the last five years to take advantage of the low prices for natural gas. And those prices just don't go back up because there's just so much natural gas. And uh, so we're able to supply that demand. Uh, we've had a huge conversion of older generation coal plants to, to natural gas in the power generation sector of the economy. Which burns so much cleaner too, so it's good for the environment. Right. Yeah, and 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 that's why that's why you're having that conversion. Uh, it's because it's so much better for the environment, and it's and it's just as inexpensive as coal uh, to use it in power generation. And so we've had all that over the last five to seven years, and we still have this low natural gas price. So, uh, and, and now we're ramping up LNG exports. Chenier, you know, opened the first facility uh, year before last. Now, almost two years ago, uh, they're opening another one in the Corpus Christi area soon. We have Cove Point out on the East Coast and two or three more coming online next year. And so we're really going to ramp up LNG exports, but still we're going to be able to supply all of that 
with just a couple of hundred drilling rigs, drilling for natural gas. So, And, you know, Chenier opening up uh, their facility in Corpus Christi, there's a lot of expansion going on in Corpus itself, Corpus Christi, Texas. The port recently was allocated uh, most of the federal funding needed to complete the project, in which we, we've talked about it a lot on the show. They're dredging and widening their main channel, which yeah. is great news. But um, how key is it really going to be for Texas when they come online? Yeah, it's huge. You know, we've we've talked a lot, and this is what's so interesting about it. We've talked a lot here over the last few months about this pipeline bottleneck in the Permian Basin. And, and the difficulty companies are having getting their crude oil and natural gas to the Gulf Coast to either be refined or processed or exported. Well, we're going to have all these pipelines starting to come online next year, and that's that bottleneck is going to go away. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have these enormous additional volumes of crude oil coming into Corpus Christi and Houston starting next year, later next year. And... Um, you, you, we have the potential for there being a, another bottleneck developing at the at the coast if we can't really increase our ability to export crude oil. And so this expansion of, of the Corpus Christi's main channel is, is really critical for the industry and really for the Texas and U.S. economies, because otherwise this oil is going to have a hard time finding a, a home. And that could really uh, put a damper on the boom that's taking place out in the Permian Basin and elsewhere. Interesting. So, David, let's just switch gears real quick and talk about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Uh, it's a big cover for, for the magazine. Who's on cover? And tell me a little bit about the company. Well, it's Sarah Ortwine, who's the CEO of XTO Energy, uh, which is a subsidiary of, of ExxonMobil Company. And uh, XTO is one of the biggest, I mean, one of the very largest independent producers in the country. Sarah is one of the few senior executives uh, in the oil and gas industry. And so it's wonderful uh, to have her on the cover. I, I think her story is just fascinating. It was one of my favorite ones that I've ever written. It seems like I say that every issue, but it's really true. There are some great people that have uh, been on cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great and, companies. And her story is, is, is so amazing. And uh, the way she, you know, she spent her entire career, first of all, in the ExxonMobil corporate world, uh, which is very rare these days for people of our generation. She's about the, you know, my generation. And uh, and it's just uh, her her climb through that organization and, and her leadership that she's shown, uh, uh, there at XTO and all the incredible things they're doing in the Permian Basin and elsewhere. Uh, it, it was really a wonderful story to be able to tell. And uh, so I, I hope everyone will take the time to read that story either in the magazine or at our website, because it's it's I think it's a really good one, a powerful story for the whole industry. It's very, very inspiring. And, and truly, it does make me very happy to see that Shell Magazine is profiling uh, more women and really trying to uh, elevate that area where we can show some of the great women who are great leaders of great companies. Uh, when we return from break, David, I want to stay on the topic of Permian Basin, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. Email us, info at shalemag.com.
And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We're being joined by David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. And David, before the break, we were talking about who's the latest cover of Shell, which is Sarah Ortwine, who is with XTO, the leader of XTO Energy. Uh, They've mainly focused on Permian Basin. um, And I want to stay on that topic of Permian Basin because the Houston Chronicle had an article this Thursday, and it was discussing the flaring of natural gas in that region has doubled um, in the last year. So talk to me about what's happening and um, what can the industry do to solve uh, this issue? Are Are they going to do something to solve this issue? Well, you know, it, it, it's an issue that happens every time we have a boom in a shale play. Um, it, because what, where you end up is, is a situation where you don't have the existing, the pre-existing natural gas pipeline infrastructure needed to automatically, immediately tie these wells into a natural gas pipeline. And uh, these are mainly oil wells. This is an oil basin, uh, and and so they're really drilling for the oil, but there's all this associated natural gas. And it takes a while to build out the the pipeline infrastructure and the gathering systems necessary to bring the gas to market. So so the industry always ends up with what ends up being a a black eye with regulators and and public relations uh, with all these very visible flares of natural gas uh, which is the most efficient way, by the way, of, of disposing of the natural gas. You don't want to just vent it into the atmosphere. In fact, it's not legal to do that anymore. For many years, it was legal. Uh, and by burning it, the way they burn it, uh, it, it produces very little uh, air pollution. But it's still, a, you know, it's a, a very difficult issue for the industry because it's so visible. There's so many of them right now in the Permian Basin. It kind of lights up the night sky. And for a while there, there was even a, an issue that it's gone away now. But the McDonald Observatory out there in deep west Texas uh, was very concerned that uh, the flares several years ago uh, were lighting up the night sky so much that it was reducing their visibility from their observatory. So it's a it's a real constant issue for the industry there. There is technology available that exists that can capture it. Uh, it's kind of expensive, but you know, it captures it and compresses it and you can truck it off uh, of the lease and, and, and get it to market in a truck. Uh, also, you know, uh, you are able in a lot of situations to just basically use a lot of it to run your wellhead equipment with and, and other equipment. Yeah, it's almost like being recycled. Well, some of the technology out there is being recycled and reused as power. Right. Interesting. Right. And and so that happens. And But, you know, the main way to do it, the cheapest way to do it, the least expensive way to do it is, is to flare it. Now, it's, it's not something producers want to do because, I mean, that natural gas is valuable. They want to be able to sell the gas. But it's just a, a situation where you don't have that pipeline infrastructure in place uh, until they know the gas is there. Companies, pipeline companies aren't going to build pipelines until they have something to transport. So uh, there's always that lag. And uh, we've had this big boom in the Permian the last two years. And so the flaring has gone up. And uh, you can bet the people at the Railroad Commission are aware of it, too. Uh, yes, I would probably think that. Or you would think that. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Um, so. Recently, um, a couple of years back, um, it was illegal for us to export 
crude. We had a 40-year ban in place. It seems very strange <laughs> for me to be asking you this question when it was just a couple of years ago, we couldn't even export. And now the U.S. has became a net exporter of crude oil last week for the first time in many decades. Isn't that amazing? It it's is. Just, it's just, uh, it just, it was just literally three or four weeks ago, uh, there was a report, I don't remember if it was in the Financial Times or in Bloomberg, predicting that the U.S. might become might become a net exporter of crude oil by 2020. And here it is. It happened last week. Now, we, we then last so week. A year uh, and a month ahead of schedule. <laughs> yeah, a year and a month ahead of when this very knowledgeable source was predicting it could happen. Right. So that's what that tells you is just how rapidly uh, production in the United States is ramping up and how rapidly our exports are ramping up and also how close we are to becoming energy independent, frankly. Uh, we're certainly so much more energy secure than Heck we were. yeah. <laughs> and, and let me give the listeners just an idea of how it's changed. Uh, in the article, it talked about in 2005, which is 13 years ago, the United States uh, imported was a net importer of crude oil by 12 million barrels a day we were importing more than 12 million barrels a day more than we were exporting last week we exported 210,000 barrels a day more than we imported so you talk about flip, an amazing flop. flip yeah and and in just that's a very short period of time and it's that period of time when we figured out the way to extract this crude oil from these shale formations. Uh, and people can complain about hydraulic fracturing or fracking, whatever they want to call it. You can complain about that all you want to. You can talk about wanting to ban it all you want to, but it's one of the greatest economic miracles of the 21st century so far. In fact, it is probably the most impactful economic drivers of the 21st century. And, and uh, Texas is the center of that universe, by the way. We're producing 40% of the crude oil and 30% of the natural gas in the whole country. So, And I know I'm going to trigger a whole bunch of emails coming directly at me for making this statement, <laughs> but I personally want our listeners to think if you don't like hydraulic fracturing, fracking, whatever you want to call it, if you don't like it, you probably shouldn't be driving a car or living in your house or having access to air conditioning, uh, to your air conditioner or your heating. Uh, because quite frankly, that's really what uh, you're enjoying because of shell plays and of course, uh, oil producers drilling more oil. Well, not not to mention all the fruits and vegetables that you eat or fertilize oh, yeah. with fertilizers <laughs> made from natural gas. You know, I mean, people don't understand. It's, it's in everything you do. Um, and so if you eliminate it, well, um, boy, it's going to be tough living. You're going to have a terrible life. <laughs> yeah, it's really not going to be fun. <laughs> um, David, when we return, I want to switch from Permian Basin and talk about uh, an announcement coming out of Wolf Camp Shell. Uh, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Oil-filled experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil-filled equipment needs. 
Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha source side-by-side -side owner study. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Wool Patch Radio Show. And our guest today is the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, um, we've been talking a lot about Permian Basin, Corpus Christi. Let's switch gears. Um, the USGS says that the Wolf Camp Shell is the largest oil potential formation it has ever assessed with having 46 billion barrels of oil, 20 billion barrels of natural gas liquids, and 280 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Um, and the natural gas number represents about 12 years of the U.S. natural gas needs coming from the oil fill. So that's kind of imagine. It's just unimaginable. But but also put it in uh, in context for me. What is the difference between this shell play versus the Permian Basin? Because the Permian Basin was the biggest, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it's it's the Wolf Camp is one formation out of about a dozen producing formations in underneath the Permian Basin. And it's probably the biggest one, the most prolific one, the one with the most product in it. But uh, it's the only one that the USGS has been able to do a full assessment on so far. So, so there might be more coming out of Permian because all of these are embedded in the in the Permian Basin area. That's right. And and to put this in some context, the biggest oil field ever discovered in North America is the Prudhoe Bay field on the north slope of Alaska, which has fed the Trans-Alaska Pipeline for the last 40 years. We have produced about 17 billion barrels of oil so far out of Prudhoe Bay. This is 46 billion barrels of oil that are, that are so what we have to understand about it, when the USGS does these assessments, they use the most conservative method of estimating the, the production in place possible. This is what they believe can be produced with current technology. 
which means it is a it is a fraction and probably a pretty small fraction of the amount of oil that's really in place in that formation. Uh, and because as we all know, I, I hope I've gotten that message across over the last few years. It, technology advances in the oil and gas industry literally every day. So this this assessment was done over the last few months by January. It's already going to be out of date. So that means that there could be more than forty six billion <laughs> in the future. Oh my God! Yeah, there will be multiples of that produced from this single formation in the Permian Basin, which is one of a dozen producing formations in the Permian Basin. So that's how people have to think of this. And yeah, the two hundred eighty one trillion cubic feet of natural gas is twelve years. Of, of the United States total consumption in one formation in a single basin. And it's not even a natural gas basin, it's an oil basin. So it's just, it's, it's incomprehensible that there's that much in place in that one formation. I just have to say, you know, our show, you gotta appreciate the wealth of information that comes out on oil and gas. Cause I just really don't know where you get this kind of information that is really, segmented in a way that the average person can understand now the topic of oil and gas. It's amazing. I want to switch gears real quick before we run out of time and talk about an upcoming uh, cover that we're going to have on Shell Magazine. You interviewed uh, Apache as well. Um, And so let's talk about they will be on the cover in the future, the next issue of Shell Magazine. Um, Let's talk about Alpine High, uh, the the play in West Texas. Give our listeners a preview of what they can expect with this unique uh, Shell play going on. Well, it ties right into this uh, Wolf Camp shale assessment by the USGS because the Wolf Camp is one of the formations that Apache is exploring at the Alpine High. And this is a story everybody is going to want to read because this is the most, I believe, the most complex and unique uh, oil and gas play in the country. Um, And I interviewed, the main interviewee was Steve Keenan, who is the uh, executive or senior vice president over that operation in uh, Apache Corporation's uh, San Antonio office, which is just a beautiful place out west of town. Um, and we spent all afternoon with them uh, going through that cradle to grave. And it just, uh, usually when I write these stories, uh, I just barely have enough information to really truly do the story justice. Here, my biggest problem in writing this story is trying to decide what to leave out because I, I could write 20,000 words on this. And, you know, we try to keep these cover stories to 6,000 words, which is pretty big piece in itself. So- uh, In other words, you could have wrote a book on this company, <laughs> a corporation. It, it, I literally, really could. I, I have enough information. I probably could write a book about it. And uh, somebody probably should someday, because it's, it's an extraordinary story about a, about a play area that, the whole industry drilled around for 40 years and ignored, and that this this one team of scientists from Apache came in, put fresh eyes on all the data, reassessed what was really there, and then went about proving it. And um, it's just extraordinary. I, I'm I'm uh, thrilled to 
to to be the person who's been allowed to write it, frankly. Excellent. Well, I'm excited because I know that in 2019, we're, Shell is going to have some great, Shell Magazine is going to have some great covers. Um, the show is growing as well. We're going to do new segments that are going to be live to be able to get questions in from our listeners who want answers. Uh, rather, it's on seismicity, air quality, uh, exporting, um, water issues, you name it. Um, we'll be having live shows and answering questions coming in from email, live on the phone, and of course on our social media platforms. So I'm excited to see 2019 is going to be a great year for Shell Magazine and in the Old Patch Radio Show. David, that is all the time we have for this week's show. Look forward to having you next week when we'll be talking more uh, topics on oil and gas and of course uh, politics as well. All right, I'll look forward to it. Thanks again, David, for being a guest on our show today, and congratulations, because you are going to be the topic of today's trivia. Be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com, and you will have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, who is the current cover for this issue, which is the November-December issue of Shell Magazine? Remember to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and you'll have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian steakhouse. If you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com and sign up for our free newsletter. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.